When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you have any cheese at all? No. What <laughs> a senseless waste of human life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 87 of the Cheese Room Podcast. This is the lockdown Episode 2, uh, the kind of episode where we talk a little bit about the latest coronavirus football-related news, mostly, and we're also going to try and inject a little bit of something non um, topical in the sense of not related to the coronavirus. We'll be talking about uh, the team of the season so far, led by the one and the only and my first guest today. I was going to say my favourite Cheese Room podcaster, but God help me, I'll be dying on our Slack thread forever if I said that. He is the Hello Globetrotter, Lloyd Styles. HG, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm doing well, Mr. Jolly. I think the only reason I might be considered your favourite is because I've been here from the beginning and you haven't got rid of me just yet. I'm still going around at these weird hours uh, recording pods with you. But uh, yeah, look, life is good here in Austria. And uh, yeah, we haven't got too much to complain about, really. It's been a very long time since we've done a pod together as well, hasn't it? I don't think we've done one this season. <laughs> it's probably true. Since I think it's been that long. I, re- I really do. But um, yeah, like it, it's 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 one of those weird things. Like we we are in this situation in the world where we are, but we get a chance to to speak to our friends, and and that's always good. So yeah, look, we talk about Spurs, talk about football, and uh, just enjoy the next thirty five forty minutes, I guess. Absolutely. Now, for new listeners, or relatively new listeners to the to the podcast, when we started out, there was about six or seven of us who from all around the world, and we we podcasted regularly and mixed it all up, and then from the beginning of this season. We went to the three locations, of course, the midweek show, which is hosted either by me in Australia or by Shez in Singapore or by Paul also here um, in uh, Australia or by Vlad. Um, And that comes out midweek with people mostly in Australasia. Of course, we have the weekend show hosted by uh, the General Francis Parker. 
and, and that's UK and Europe guests mostly. And then we have the preview show out of the Americas hosted by Brendan um, or Aviva and with mostly America's guests. Uh, and one of those people who is based in the Americas is my second special guest for today. And he is the whiskey drinking, cheese loving, Wisconsin pastor, Nick Kirsten. Mr. Jolly, good afternoon. Now, remind everybody what you do for a living. I am a Baptist pastor, and I work for a small Baptist denomination here in the States that has roots back in the UK. But you enjoy a good whiskey so, and a bit of Old Testament Arsenal hating. Absolutely, 100%. So let's say Jack yep. Wilshire showed up at your congregation on a Sunday. Would he be welcome? Only if he converted. <laughs> converted to your religion or to Tottenham? Yes. Both. Both. <laughs> Actually, I think probably I wouldn't have to convert to your religion to come and see one of your sermons, though, would I? You would not. Yeah. But, you would not at all. All kidding aside, the, uh, we're equal opportunity with the gospel, but uh, Arsenal fans may need more of it, so... They might need some more help, exactly, because they're definitely going to hell, uh, standing on their head in a bucket of shit. Uh, speaking of, uh, uh, I was going to say hell, speaking of heaven, we've got one of the best football writers on the Spurs internet and the internet full stop. He is our match reviewer extraordinaire, and he is Sebastian Short. Seb. What an introduction. Hi, Aaron. How is everyone doing? <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm doing shit house but i'm pretending i'm good <laughs> how about you i'm well i've got a bit of a dry cough and uh, a bit feverish um but uh, i'm not doing too badly apart from that <coughs> could you repeat that mate <laughs> no in all seriousness i'm 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 absolutely fine and long may that continue getting used to a, a, a little bit of self-isolation which uh, for those of us who, who work from home anyway, uh, not really experiencing too much difference, to be fair, apart from uh, having a, a couple of uh, couple of uh, children who, who think they own the house walking around. Um, apart from that, everything's pretty much normal. So you haven't, you haven't taped the kids up yet? Uh, that's tomorrow. My wife's at work tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the plan for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so we'll come back to some of the, the personal impacts. I think as we warm up, I wanted to get you a little bit of insight into what this means to you guys personally and what's going on for you. Um, but first thing I wanted to talk about is kind of a topical thing related to coronavirus. Is it okay to joke about the coronavirus? I saw on GGTH uh, a friend of mine who I met up with in Madrid at the Champions League final, and she posted a picture of a corona bottle and it said something about having a drink of it. And somebody, I think a Scandinavian fellow, shout out to the Scandinavians. I've, I've got 16% Norwegian blood, as most of you know, so I'm, I'm Scando as fuck. Lo love the Scandinavians. And they've got a very dry, warped sense of humour normally, but a fellow came on and just said, this is nonsense, you know. People are dying. You can't joke about, you can't make jokes like this. So what do you guys think? Uh, let's look in the context of the that American football meme that's going around where, there's some like lad who's being um, allowed to run the length of the field to score a touchdown, and, he's, and they put a, like a Liverpool badge on him, and he runs past the badges of the other clubs, and then right as he's getting towards the touchline uh, to score a, a touchdown, somebody comes out of nowhere and just t-bones him, and he looks like he's almost dead, and that's basically the the person that t-bones him's got a big coronavirus on. So, Seb, did you laugh at that? And can we laugh at things like that? 
too right. I laughed at that. Yeah. Um, listen, people are always going. There's always going to be someone who's offended, and and that's unfortunate. And you know, there there, there is a line. But if we can't laugh, and the, the 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 problem we've got at the moment is everyone's got a lot of time on their hands. So people are going to make memes and jokes and uh, and gifts and all the other things that are, are going around on social media at the moment. And you know, if you don't like it, don't look. Um, but hopefully, the majority of people are entertained. Mm. What do you think about this, um, Padre? I mean, you're a professional counsellor. I mean, part of your role involves a lot of counselling, so you must be hearing some pretty horrific stories. Are you still able to laugh at the the black humour floating around? You don't survive in my line of work unless you can laugh at things that no one else laughs at. Um, I mean, what we tell people who are grieving, people who are having a hard time, is that whatever you know emotion hits you at a given moment, that you kind of accept that. So I think humor has a place there. If laughing at that particular meme is a hellworthy trespass, even the Padres in trouble, I laughed at the original NFL one because there was this outbreak of you know people trying to help the you know, the, the kid with who may never score another way to kind of have his, his heroes around him. I laughed at that meme hard, um, and so you know putting this on that is kind of jumping on the back of that, that meme for me in a way that it might be different because I, I'm in America, but definitely there's a place for it. And there is a line too, but you have to be able to laugh or, or nothing is, nothing is good. And what do you think, HG? I mean, take yourself back to say, if you were around at the times of the bubonic plague and, you know, millions of people were dying, if you sneezed, you're basically, what's the, what's the old nursery rhyme? A tissue, a tissue, we all fall down and die. Uh, none of that stuff seemed pretty cheery. What's different now? Why, why can we laugh at stuff like this? Whereas back in the day, I don't think people were laughing much during the Black Plague. Because it isn't the Black Plague. I mean, look, I, I, although I wasn't around back in the 1400s, 1500s, whenever that was, um, I, I think it's just about knowing your audience. I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like, we can joke about it with each other because maybe we don't know what the other person's gone through if they've known anyone that's had it. Obviously, you, you never know everyone's position on that. But I think that's... That that's the most the main thing you have to consider. Like we we come from a, a culture that, that does like to laugh at everything, um, because even though we have different nationalities, I think that most of us have a, a mainly British heritage and show that like that the the, the humour is very similar. But I, I guess it just depends on how you're doing it and whether you whether you're showing some kind of care with your joke, because you know to to be careless about this also doesn't fly very well. And Padre, I mean, you've said gallows humour has a time and a place, but there's also a line. What, what's the line? How do you find out where that is? That, that's tricky, isn't it? I think the broad joke thing, probably Seb's going to be, be, be right on that. You know, I had a, a nephew who had a COVID-19 test out. He's got a heart condition. You know, if, if we find out on Tuesday that he's positive and probably given his condition isn't going to survive, the world is less funny today. You know, the kinds of things I find amusing are going to be harder. And so some of it comes down to, you know, if you're going to make a broad joke, you got to know it's going to land on some people and really potentially do some damage. But at the same time, you can't stop everything uh, because life stops for every, for a few people. And that's the hard part. But the care there for other people is the thing. You know, if you can do it and think most people are going to be able to be OK with it or if you would be OK with it, if you can imagine it when somebody else is doing it. You're probably going to be all right. Mm. Like, if I can just add something, the uh, like living in Austria, um, there's obviously pretty recent history here um, with Hitler that the Austrians haven't really dealt with. And so I've learned since living here that some of the things that I might have done growing up in the UK, singing songs about Hitler only having one ball and those things that I think are pretty normal for, for the Brits, 
that just wouldn't fly here. Like you can't mm. joke about Hitler. They they haven't dealt with their with their history. They, they it's 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 weird from an from an outsider's perspective, but they haven't dealt with it, and certainly not in the way that the Germans seem to have at least tried. Austrians are very very nervous about the entire subject. And so uh, it, is, it is about kind of understanding where you are and you, you have no idea if other people are going to have had experiences with mm. coronavirus. But still, um, yeah, it's if you're going to get offended, you have to understand that the person making the joke doesn't know your situation either. It works both ways. Yeah, that's right. I think probably the issue with more and more people being affected is obviously going to grow, though. So the longer this goes on and the more people you know, do die or do get very sick or do lose their jobs. And we're talking about, I mean, already in Australia, there's talk about hundreds of thousands of people losing their jobs. I mean, 20,000 people working for Qantas already have people in the arts and entertainment industry, and that's just devastated. So, you know, make, making jokes about it, I, I reckon, as it goes along, there's going to be more and more people affected, and it will, will be trickier to kind of be funny about it. Um, let, let's just talk... Briefly, before we get into talking about the Premier League meeting yesterday and the state of football and stuff, I'm just curious about kind of personal impact for you guys. Um, I'm happy to start first. For me in my industry, I work in education. I work at the University of Sydney. Uh, 85% of the students at the the English Language Centre where I work there as a tenured uh, teacher and lecturer uh, are from China. And now that the border has been closed and they're talking about it being closed for six months, even though I have a tenured position. Of course, casuals have already all lost their, their, their work straight off. So, I mean, the industry is kind of devastated. I'm in a pretty lucky position that my job will be fine until at least July. But after that, we might all have to just reapply for our jobs and there's going to be probably, I would say, at least at the moment, a, a 60, 50, 60% chance that other people are going to lose their job. And that, that is a bit of a shock to the system. Um, that's sort of like my situation. I, I'm lucky in some ways that I diversified some of my income streams. And that's something that I think when something like this happens, kind of hits you pretty hard. And you think, you know, depending on what industry you're in, you might need to have income from multiple streams. But that's sort of my situation. What about you guys in a nutshell? Um, Seb, what has this done for you? I mean, you do a lot of your selling through Amazon, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah in a way, I sell to to customers who, who themselves sell on Amazon. Um, and, uh, this week Amazon stopped those, um, customers of theirs sending stock into Amazon warehouses. Um, so basically in the past, you, my customers would, would, I'd sell the stock to my customers. My customers would send vast amounts of stock into Amazon warehouses. They would deal with it or deliver it, um, for a fee. Um, but obviously because of reduced staff numbers, Amazon have basically said they're only going to be selling their own, their own products mm. out of their own warehouses. So I have customers who basically, like myself, work from home. They don't have warehouses where they can hold stock. Um, and so basically they've, they've essentially turned around to me and said, we can't buy anything. It's not because they haven't got the money. It's not because people, people are still buying online. Um, in fact, I think I saw something the other day that online sales have actually gone up because people are now trying to desperately get hold of all the things they might need over the next few months. Um, but my business has ground to a halt this week, and I, I don't think it's going to – get sorted anytime soon yeah that must be a bit of a shock to the system for you too just a little bit yeah i mean i'm i'm fortunate in one respect um i work from home i don't have staff you know that's the that that's that's my number one thing you know if i was responsible for other people's well-being 
um, that would be a different issue. Thankfully, you know, we've we've got a rainy day fund. Hopefully we don't need to, <laughs> hopefully that rainy day isn't a, a rainy six month fund. Um, but um, yeah, fingers crossed, we're okay at the moment. Um, and we just have to see how it goes on it on a day by day basis. And I think a lot of people are in the, the same position. And what about you, Padre? I mean, you must just be busier than ever. Absolutely. Um, so when stuff like this happens, you tend to see people kind of go back and ask questions, right? So am I mortal? Am I? And so the things that we spend so much time running away from in terms of the questions that we um, don't ask sometimes, you know, when you're sitting alone at your house or you're with your family and these questions find you or the fear finds you, um, suddenly folks in my line of work become very useful again. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the churches that I serve um, have been slowly sort of shrinking as time gets along. And now all of a sudden those smaller churches are being asked to do a bigger job. So there's a ton of resourcing there. And that's the part that's the hard part. So uh, my job this week is I've become very useful to a lot of people. Um, where it used to be more sporadic, there's a lot of people looking out for me. I've become tech support for a lot of 60-year-old pastors who are looking to stream their sermon this week. So if any of you have ever had this experience of trying to help a, like, like your parent set up a computer and get a live stream running, that is my experience this week. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I've had that experience with some of the uh, Cheese Room podcasters through through the last 18 months, just trying to get them up with all of the tech. So I can only imagine what you're suffering from. Uh, HG, I mean, you're, you're a, a school teacher. Do you have any idea how long you're going to be off work for? So officially, um, we're going to go back as soon as the Easter holidays are done. That's the, the official line given what's happened in the week since that was announced. Um, I suspect it might be longer, but in theory, we are still working, we are still teaching. So um, we have a technical system through the school where we can talk to individual students on Messenger. We can send group messages to all our kids, class by class or um, subject by subject, however you want to do it. So um, the kids have still been getting work from us. Um, They're going to send stuff to us, I imagine, so that so that we can market. I think that some teachers prefer the old school method and are struggling a bit more than others, but we're getting through it and uh, the kids are still, they're still learning. I mean, I don't know what, what's going to happen with exams for the for the final year students that hasn't been decided yet. But in theory, um, I am working from home, not using Skype or Zoom or anything like that, but still making it possible for the, for the students to have tasks that they need to do or um, mostly, I think, videos that they need to see so they can almost learn for themselves. I feel like I've become a, a library of information mm-hmm. rather than a, a conveyor of it. So um, it, it, it's okay. Obviously, you know, we're still being paid for it. But, um, yeah, I, I, you just don't know how long it's going to last. I think that if it goes to, to the summer, then uh, decisions will have to be made, but they won't be made by me. Mm. And, and what about just before we get into football-related stuff, what about good things to come out of this? I was thinking about from a personal perspective, I've been trying to get my wife uh, to take on austerity measures for a few years now as we save up to buy a house, you know, cancelling expensive uh, birthday gifts and, and birthday events, as she likes to call them, or her birthday festival, I think she used to refer to it when we were first married, uh, Valentine's Day, all of this kind of stuff. Um, I think once, like all good economic rationalists, once... Uh, these austerity measures are set up. I might just keep them for the long term. What do you think, Seb? <laughs> I think it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure um, when I uh, – it's Mother's Day in the UK on uh, on Sunday. I'm not sure if I broach to my wife that um, Mother's Day is cancelled on Sunday. She's going to be particularly happy. Um, but I'll blame it on you. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
Yeah, mate, you know, if you're, if you're without work for six months, you're going to have to cut back all your costs. <laughs> yeah, that, that's number one. You know what they say, like a dollar saved is a dollar 25 earned. I'll, I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> H, do you have something good that comes out of this? Um, honestly, the best thing about this so far is the fact that um, my daughter only started kindergarten last September. Um, she's never really liked it. And so not once has she asked for the last week, when am I going to kindergarten? Is kindergarten the, Is it today? She's quite happy being at home with mum and dad and you know, she gets fed when she, I mean, she's an only child, so we spoil her a little bit. Right. But uh, yeah, she, she hasn't really had many issues. She's a bit upset that she can't go to the playgrounds outside. But otherwise, I mean, those, those you know, three minute, five minute crying spells are, are over pretty quickly. And then it's a case of, you know, why isn't the VPN working? Because I want to watch British shows rather right. than Austrian ones. I mean, that's that's the strength of, of her issues. So um, it's we, we've been pretty lucky that she seems to hate people before this all started. There you go. My six-year-old, when I picked him up from school on Wednesday, um, very loudly announced across the playground, has Boris Johnson said I don't have to go to school yet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm speaking of gallows humour. I've got one for you. My daughter, she she does the the whole Frozen thing. Like, she's massively into Frozen 1 and Frozen 2, and she's four and a half. And she does this thing where she's fake fighting with people, where she thrusts her arm out and goes, I... Now she's changed it and she thrusts her arm out and goes, coronavirus. I'll take take her the, take her to the local old people's home and see how long she lasts. <laughs> fucking yeah. hell. I fucking the problem yes. is my wife is just looks like she's about to die of shock and I just piss myself laughing and then we had to have a chat. So we had to workshop her next trip to to childcare because childcare has not been shut down <laughs> yet. So it was like, honey, you can't do this. You might get arrested <laughs> for threats of violence. <laughs> but anyway, I do digress. And let, let's get into football-related stuff. There's been kind of pretty big announcement from the Premier League uh, Thursday during the day in the UK. By the way, it's Thursday in the evening, late evening in the Euro- in Europe as we record, and Friday morning in Australia. The, the, I guess the most important aspects of the announcement by the Premier League are delaying the season uh, restart, which I guess they don't really have any choice. And also that's it's a kind of nominal to choose a date, really, because coronavirus is going to determine when we restart. Uh, more importantly, I think, is the stuff to do with the uh, delay, uh, sorry, delaying the end date of the season indefinitely, basically giving them flexibility about when they finish the season and the financial aspects of this without me trying to waffle and restate the financial aspects. H, could you tell us a bit about what the financial aspect of it means? It appears that today they decided that whatever happens, they were going to finish this season. I think that's the main thing we can take from it. When that happens, nobody's going to, nobody knows. But the financial side of it means that clearly Sky have paid for a certain amount of matches. And if they can't show them, then they want that money back interesting that sky want refunds even though they won't give them to their own customers anyway um and so that's that's the idea they're going to want the money back and the clubs maybe some of them even aren't in a position to give that money back they may have already spent it they're going to be using it on wages for their players anyway so i think that's the the, uh, the financial concern has probably meant that this is what they this is what they're doing 
Um, so when the season finishes, nobody knows. I still think it's the right decision to do it that way, although possibly financial concerns is not the right reason. Mm. And Seb, what's your view on this? Uh, do you think the season could be finished at any point this year? And does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's important that the season does finish properly and in full. And I don't think it, it matters when that is. I think we're going to be in a situation now where we almost have kind of ad hoc games and an ad hoc football season, you know, the 2020 to 2021 season. I don't think any of us can predict when that will start and when that will finish. Um, it, it, it is important um, that it finishes. And with regards to Sky, uh, there's no way they'll come out of this um, losing money. There will be um, options. Uh, I think I've seen that there's a potential option on the table that every game is televised. Yeah, every single game is televised. They'll, they'll, they'll make it up one way or the other um, because unfortunately that's what they do. As HG said, you know, they've put that you can cancel your sports subscription um, in the UK. Um, you just have to phone up and it's, it's a temporary pause. Only issue is um, average call times are two and a half hours. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's slightly better than trying to get through to an Australian government department at the moment. <laughs> it's like a it's like a Kafka esque nightmare trying to get in touch with any department here. At the best of times, uh, interesting point about that with Sky making it up because if the games are played at some point, it probably doesn't really matter that much if they're all sandwiched together. Let's say it doesn't start again to as late as September, right? And we almost have to condense these games into a shorter period of time. And then next season, probably the end date, well, it couldn't really be extended, but I guess they may have to drop some competitions to make it happen. But just by televising more games, they should be able to sell maybe not 100% of the same amount of advertising revenue because you're probably needing to get new advertisers. And some of the advertisers, these companies are going to have pretty huge financial problems, but they should be able to kind of get somewhere in the range of what they would have made anyway back through advertising, wouldn't you say, Nick? You would think. You know, that's one of the crazy things about this that maybe we'll talk about this, but the business itself of world football is so complicated and there are so many uh, selfish actors at play where everyone's sort of holding a gun on everyone else and everyone's trying to mitigate their own risk and still turn a profit and not lose from this. And so I feel a little bit like what you're kind of, we've kind of gotten to is that everyone is overplaying their hand, trying to represent more than they have because nobody wants to give any ground to try to minimize their own personal risk. So you see like the FA doing it, you see UEFA doing it, certainly FIFA's doing it. Um, the league is doing it. The clubs are doing it. Everybody's trying to limit their risk. Everyone's going to end up paying something. You know, it's not going to be a record record year for profit. Um, but certainly somebody like sky they've got all the cards because if they don't broadcast you know there's no money so they've got some cards they're going to have enormous power in whatever happens now i know you're not an epidemiologist or an immunologist amongst your range of many uh skills hg but what do you think about this idea of games being played behind closed doors is that logistically viable it's probably the most logistically viable of all the options I suspect that, I mean, I, I read somewhere that they were going to try and pick three grounds in the middle of the country and kind of keep the teams in and around that area and play games every three days. I don't really know how it would work. I, I know that people talk about how football is nothing without fans. 
I think people need to realize that if if they want football to be back as as you know normal as as quickly as possible, then they're going to need to get this season finished. And so it may be worth having two months of games with no fans just so we can start a new season again. But it's not just the Premier League. I mean, that that's the problem. What, what's going to happen with the Championship? If you're going to finish the Premier League season and hope to get you know promoted teams up from the Championship, well, they've got to play their games too. And so to me, the whole thing basically rests on getting getting the virus under control that we can go back to some kind of normal life. I don't know how they're going to do it unless they get that thing sorted first. And it could be months. I mean, I mean you've seen some people say 12 months before they get back to a sense mm. of normalcy. So... It's. I, I think that the, the the people that probably are going to lose out the most in this, and it's not you and I, it's not the people who like to watch football. It could even be some of the players. Yeah. You know, like, like if you take someone like Fatongan who's out of contract in the summer, well, he's going to lose one year left of his of his prime. I mean, say prime, but like earning potential. Mm. I mean, obviously they're all wealthy people, but you again, you go further down the ladder. You know, you've got players who are also out of contract in the summer. Right. And they've got no chance of finding work, which they would probably have had. So there, there are so many things to consider, as Nick says. And I just think that from from our perspective of fans, that the most important thing is that we can get this season finished whenever it is. And then whatever happens after that, like maybe we don't have any real football until uh, until the Euros. Yeah. You know, we finish this season and the Euros that take place summer 2021, that's the first thing that we get back. And then we just go from there. And it sucks for the players who lose a year of earning. But, you know, it Hang sucks on. for everyone. Sorry, so you're respect. suggesting there might not be any football for a whole year, potentially, at all? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, they'll, they'll finish the season in the in the next 15 months, uh-huh. right? They'll finish this season, but they can do that at any point. In But let's say yeah. that we start, we start finishing the season in October. So you're basically suggesting it's possible that this season becomes like a two-year season. In effect, yes. Like it's not, it's not, it's not a good solution. But so, Seb, I mean, that sounds a bit crazy. But it's not. It's not just crazy. It would be the end. It'd be the end of British football. It'd be end. It'd be the end of of football as we know it worldwide. But if I can just give you uh, an example, I live uh, in Stoke on Trent, or just outside Stoke on Trent in the UK. My local team is Port Vale. They play in League Two. they they're in a slightly different position because they, they were recently recently bought out. However, um, their revenues um, and a, and a lot of revenues of clubs of that size, you know, they get four and a half to five and a half thousand people through 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 the turnstiles. That club will will intend to pay all their staff, pay all their players, um, pay all the people, the groundsmen, and everyone who works around there, and come out of the the end of the financial year with a small profit. We're talking somewhere maybe in the region of fifty to a hundred thousand pounds profit once they paid every everyone off uh, that they need that they need to pay. On a match day, they will be taking in somewhere in the region of fifty thousand pounds. So if they lose, that's just to, as a take of for instance, they lose the rest of this season. That's five match days. That's two hundred and fifty thousand. That company, as a, a football clubs are a company, it goes bust. They have no income right. for the for HMRC or anyone to say we can support this because we can see that you've got income. There is no income if they don't have match days, and if you write off fifteen months of match days, you, you've got no hope. And that won't just be one or two clubs; I, that I, will be 30, 40, 50 clubs. I think it's a very, a really good point, and what you've described is the reality. 
uh, Seb, but you're also describing the reality for a lot of industries, like people, friends of mine who are in the uh, in the entertainment industry, like people who book bands, people who are in bands. A lot of them are living living sort of hand to mouth. Those kind of people maybe are going to have to find work in different industries. And I think what you might see happening here, if this does go on for a really long time, that the nature of the way football is might change, and they might they might go back to what it was like in the past when a lot of the lower divisions were a lot more semi-pro and and even though the way football is run and it doesn't really trickle down as much as what it might do it still is a lot more professional than it was back in the day when you know when I first started following football a lot of the teams in the lower divisions were semi-pro um and and you know people were doing other jobs and stuff but I you know I think probably this is like another discussion that we could go go on to for quite a bit of time. There there is a way around this. There is a way around Mm. it in every single game. I'm talking in the UK now. There is a way of broadcasting every single game. And um, people um, who can't go to games because you're not allowed to go to games pay to watch every single game. So if you pay £10 to Sky or Amazon or any of these, you know, BT, there's a, a Google, all these companies could get onto this and say, right, every game is going to be behind closed doors. Every game is broadcastable. We see it with iFollow in the UK. You can watch any, yeah, any yeah, league sure, game. Sure. Um, you pay that, it goes to the club, uh, and, and and that's how it's done. Um, I, I think, it goes, I goes think to which club? Well, it would be shared between the two clubs playing. I think. I mean, you you can you can stream something on Twitch and make money from it. You know, there are plenty of ways that you could stream your game and get your your followers, which is an internet term, but also followers and football followers to pay to help the club stay afloat. I guess the question is, would would they want to do that? But H, my question is more about just the logistics of even playing these games behind closed doors. And we just found out from the NBA today that four players in the Philadelphia 76ers have tested positive. How are they – and you, the point that you broke up, that I can't remember if it was you or Seb now, about the other divisions, how are they going to keep all of these footballers, like thousands of footballers, even for the Premier League, hundreds, away from other people and make sure that they don't have coronavirus, especially when there's the asymptomless period? Well, you can't. I mean, that, that's why I think the whole thing is kind of crazy to even try and suggest it. Like, I know that they want to do it. I understand there's lots of money riding on it and lots of interest is riding on it so that, that people can have jobs and people can survive, clubs can survive. But again, what is more important here, right? Like, are we trying to deal with the virus or are we trying to finish a football season? If we're just trying to finish a football season, then there's no problem. We'll go and do it now. But clearly, there's a, there's a second target as well. So, like, I, I just, to me... I'm not expecting this current season to finish within the next six months. I'm really not. Yeah. But that's just how I see it based on what happened in China, what's going on in Italy. And again, like even if the UK finishes, then, well, that doesn't mean that all of the other countries are going to be able to do the same. Right. So it, to me, it, it, it seems as, as bad as it would be for business and as awful as it would be that clubs would have to, in effect, stop trading for, for 12 months that seems to be the, the, the most logical solution if you want to have normalcy again in, in 15 yeah. months from now when when players can come back and everyone feels fit and you feel like you can go outside again so that we, we start, in effect, the 2021-22 season as next season. I don't like that solution, but if, if, you, if you value um, everything, if, you, if you're trying to make the best solution for everyone and not just for, for finance 
then I think that's what we have to we have to expect it. I mean, I expect it. I, I'm, I'm probably mm. wrong, but that's what I expect. Seb's point is well taken. And, and I think this is where the whole thing comes down. And I think, Aaron, your point's well taken in terms of it. this is happening not only in, in football. At this point, what you're going to see is that the people who don't have money are not able to represent their interests. In this case, you know, players, little clubs like Port Vale, right? You're going to see this hit them the hardest and first. That that's just the way it works, right? This stuff all flows downhill. If you're on the bottom of the pile, you're going to get hurt, hit first right. because the people who have the most exposure to the risk are the ones that are going to show the damage first. Yeah. The question remains then, if we want to save British football, if that's a goal, right? Or if we want to save British people. And the problem in every one of these situations is that, the, that, that there's, those things are in some way sacrosanct. It's very difficult to separate the heart of a people from the sport that they love, right? And these are the kinds of questions that are happening everywhere. And I, I there, are, there are no easy answers. Everyone's going to have to give ground. I can see a scenario where, for example, big clubs start floating loans to little clubs for a controlling interest. And what you end up with is a sort of minor league system, like what happens in the United States with Major League Baseball, right? There's all kinds of options. But most of those options would be predicated on the people who have taking from the people who don't mostly to keep the entire system afloat. Hang on. The people who have taking from the people who don't, who don't, I think you mean the other way around, don't you? The people who have. No, no I meant oh, exactly really? what I said. Explain a bit so, more for so, me. So for Port Vale, right? If they want to keep afloat, they're going to need a certain amount of capital. They don't have it. They can't get it. If, if that's the way it ends up. Okay, now you see a club. There, there is a vested interest for the big Got clubs. It. So they're basically selling, they're selling themselves to survive, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a potential option where you see these networks of clubs start to form, right? And they become de facto academy things where, yeah. like, and that's the, happened, the loan systems and. That's happened in Australia with Manchester City buying one of the Melbourne clubs down here, um, which, which, who are now called Melbourne City. They used to have their own identity and a different uniform and a different name, and now they're they're an offshoot of of Manchester City. City did it. Yeah, I, uh, I, Red Bulls I, doing I, I it. I like the idea. I, I like the idea, and 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 that's all based on um, bigger companies. You know, let's let's not let's not beat around the bush. These these football clubs are companies um, being morally um, adroit and and. And getting things right, we saw less than a year ago, Berry Football Club go out of business. They are just around the corner from Manchester United, Manchester City. Uh, anything it could have been done in pretty much a heartbeat. You know, a million pounds, which is a obviously a lot of money, um, but it's not a lot of money to those two clubs. Could have saved Berry, and it didn't, and it was never going to. And that's that's the issue we've got is kind of the I'm all right, Jack mentality. And I, I don't think it'll work. I'd like it to work, but I don't think it'll work. Mm. All right. Well, I think we've exercised enough of the uh, coronavirus-related news and discussions on that. Uh, listeners, our lovely listeners, if you have any thoughts on any of the comments we've made here, please drop them into the Facebook post uh, below. We'll have a bit of a discussion going on there or on Twitter, if you're on Twitter. Shout out to the indefatigable season ticket holder, Simon J. Burrows, our main man on Twitter. Also, Franco, the Instagram model and uh, uh, UK <laughs> cheese room host for his work with Instagram. Get over and follow us there. 
Now, HG, we plan to talk about your team of the season. Uh, I think maybe we've got time. Maybe we'll just do the defence today and we'll take up uh, the midfield and the attack in future shows. What do you reckon? Sounds fine with me, yeah. Now, before we get into the defence, so this is the team of the season so far based on who's played the position best, not necessarily the most consistently. Is that right? Look, I think I just wanted to get us talking about because we've seen so many players play in so many different positions mm-hmm. that could could we could we come up with a a best team? Like I, I think all of us, if if everyone is fit, could probably name the best team that we would want to see. But I think that you know, based on the season with so many injuries and so many people having to play out of position and weird formations from both of our managers throughout the year, that maybe there's maybe we can come to some kind of agreement as to. Who has played the best this season? So, in order f- before we discuss the individual positions, and I know this is kind of like giving away the team a bit in advance, but I think we need to hear the whole team before we can discuss individual positions. Because, as you've said, people have played in different positions. So, what's your four-three-three? Okay, my four-three-three would have Hugo in goal, um, Aurier at right back. Uh, left back is a bit more difficult. Um, but yeah, Aurier right back. I'd have Toby at centre half. I, I guess Sanchez has to be there next to him because it's it, it starts to become like, well, yeah, no one's played so no one's played that well. Mm-hmm. Left back, do we have to pick? Um, like I honestly, as much as everyone seems to have hated him, I, I'd be tempted to pick Rose over everyone else so far mm. this season because Fatongan's been terrible. Davis has barely played. Sessegnon can't defend. So I think I'd go for Rose at left back. Um, the three in midfield, I would have Lacelso obviously as one of them. That's the one of the easier tasks. But then who goes next to him? Based on the early part of the season, I'd be tempted to put Dombele there and maybe. If you're looking at, you know, does does Winks go because he's played most of the oh. year? Winks probably would be in that three. And then my front three, um, Kane, obviously, Son, obviously. And then it becomes, well, who goes next? Lucas has been fit most of the year, but has flattered to Eric the Lambella, you for know various you reasons. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, I say this every time, and I mean this every time. Didn't enter my head. At no point did Lamella <laughs> enter my head All as right. being even a possible okay. option. Um, so so yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Kane, Son, and Delhi because I think Lucas, for various reasons, hasn't played particularly well this year. All right, let's let's start with the the defense before the defense with the goalkeeper. There's no question about Hugo still being number one. Is there, uh, Seb? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that he has had a fantastic season uh, in my book. It just means that he's better than uh, than Gazaniga and and obviously Michel Vorm. Um, yeah, no, no question at all. And same for you, Padre. Absolutely, not what he was. Still better than anything else we have. I mean, we we saw with Gazaniga's footwork in some of the games he played that it just isn't really top class keeper level footwork, is it? HG. No, I mean that's not that's not the reason that I I, I don't think he's that good. I mean, it's just yeah, Gazaniga does things really well. Um, he's probably more commanding when it comes to crosses than Hugo is, but yeah, like it, it, in a straight, if in a straight choice, you pick Hugo every time. I, I don't really want to go into the ins and outs of what they do well and badly, but Hugo is just a better all-round goalkeeper. Mm. And and what about Hugo moving forward? How many more seasons do you think he has at the top level, uh, Seb? 
Oh, it's a really difficult one um, because on his day, he, he's fantastic. He's a, he's a great shot stopper. Um, he's proven his worth with penalty saves. Um, but you could understand it if we went for a, a, a Nick Pope, um, maybe someone like that. You, you, you could understand it, but he, he wouldn't be a number two. It'd have to be, he'd, he'd have to be sold. But I, I really like Hugo Lloris. He's been loyal. Um, he's a winner. We haven't got many of those. So I, I would I'd probably try and keep him one more season and see how it pans out. But, but is he a winner? Like, I mean, I've been a massive Hugo fan and I don't think you can slight him. But I remember a couple of seasons back when he was interviewed at the start of the season and asked about Tottenham's chances of winning the league and winning trophies. And he basically said, well, you have to be realistic and essentially, no, we can't. Was that honest, HG, or is that the kind of thing you expect from leaders? I don't, I've never really seen him as a leader, and I think that even though he's won the World Cup, how much of that was really down to Hugo is questionable. Yeah, I mean, like, Jimmy Traore is a, a winner of the Champions League, doesn't necessarily make him a winner as a person. Like, I, I'm very grateful for Hugo he's and everything he's done well, for Spurs. He's, Sorry? He's captain as well. Yeah, you, have to be, again, yeah, you have to be a leader of your captain. He's his responsibility in the dressing room. He, will, he won't have been a silent captain. Yeah, but you don't win the World Cup in the dressing room. Like, you win it on the pitch. If your dressing so, room's so wrong, me, then you're never going to win it on the pitch. Well, yeah, so, it's, so what's the problem with Spurs' dressing room? Is it our captain? Uh, no, I'd say I'd, I'd say it's what's out on the pitch. Right. But you, if you if you can't if you could, don't get it, if the dressing room is wrong and that falls down the captain, you know, he, in my book, he has to be the the intermediary between mm. the management team and the players. If you get if he gets that wrong, that that camp, you know, ask the Dutch squad. When it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. He doesn't he doesn't seem that charismatic, does he? I mean, one of the things I mean for good and for bad, because a lot of people think Boris Johnson is charismatic. Um, you know, there's a there's a line between charismatic and buffoonery. Uh, shout out to you, uh, the caller Owen Culshaw, uh, who treads that that line <laughs> at times better than others. But um, <laughs> the, the 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 issue is, you you need someone charismatic. And he, he looks like the kind of guy who, if he if he probably played dirge music at home, and um, you know, he pro- he probably fit in pretty well in Vienna, HG. Um, look, I, I think that all we can say about Hugo is that obviously he's been captain for for the last few years. We've had our best few years from in all of our lives, really. So there is something to be said for what he's done. Mm. But if we're looking at the future, I mean, he's 33 right now. He's probably over the peak of being a goalkeeper or certainly approaching the end of of the peak time and that his game was always based on being quick off his line. And now he never leaves his line. So, um, yeah, I, I would be, <laughs> yeah. whenever the next summer transfer window is, I would be looking to find a new number one. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's see now. HG, I'm just seeing your notes here in the run sheet. I want us to discuss this with each other and come up with the best 11. So, uh, in five minutes, let's do this with the defense first. Can we all agree? Obviously, Toby, I think this is the least controversial thing is he has to be one half of the centre-back pairing. Is that correct, Seb? Yes, in a word. Uh, for, obviously, you agree with that, uh, Padre? Absolutely. And H, no doubt. 
No, I mean, I've said many times on the pod, Toby's the best defender we have at the club. I stick by that. He's He's been available all year. We've lost games when he's not been played for various reasons. And uh, he's just a solid all-round defender, even though he's had better seasons for us than he has this year. All right, that's that's pretty easy. I think we could discuss a little bit of drop off from from Toby, but if there is a bit, it's 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 very a very mild case of drop off. Um, to to use some uh, <laughs> contemporary vernacular, um, what about who goes next to him? Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit more difficult. Is it as easy as saying Sanchez, Seb, Short? I, I'm not a Sanchez fan. Um, and even though he's had limited game time, I I, I would put Tanganga there. Uh, going forward next season, time on train, training pitch, things like that. I, I, you know, we've spent £38 million on Davinson Sanchez. I'm not quite sure what he's done. He had a great first season. I went to his first game, actually. It was, uh, I think it was at Goodison Park, um, 3-0, I think. And he played in the middle of uh, Alderweireld and Vertonghen and looked great. And he looked great that first season and he just has not kicked on. Um, and I'm pretty sure if you could get your money back for him, you take it. Mm. My defence for Sanchez is from the very time that he's come to the club, he's never had a consistent run of 10 games at centre-back. And he's definitely not had it at 10 games alongside Toby. Um, you know, he's played sometimes with Jan, he's played sometimes with Toby. He's been in at times and other people have been injured. He's never consistently over a long period of time been first choice. Is it fair to judge him, Seb, given that? Yeah, because he's been at the club, I'm guessing, four seasons. Is it, is it that, that would be a guess, maybe three, maybe four. Two, two and um, a half, yeah, two and a half. This is, this is a third. Two, two and a half, okay. So, yeah, he's he's had plenty of time. I think the, the issue is, is that... He, He's he's right footed, and so is so is Toby. In an ideal scenario, if Sanchez was left footed, you have the perfect combination. Uh, he's we, he, you know, Vertonghen is the one that needed replacing or or, or needed replacing earlier, um, and yet probably Sanchez is Toby's replacement in the long term. Um, if there was a left footer and Sanchez was playing on, on the right hand side of the of the two, then maybe we'd see him a more regularly and b more consistent. Mm. That that's a good point. I agree with that too. He's he's Toby's replacement, and then we kept Toby. I mean that the other part of this, yeah. I agree with you, Aaron. He he didn't he hasn't had a partner, right? So he there's been regularly we played him at right right back against Arsenal. I mean we put him all over the place, and then asked him to come back and play his normal position. You can screw with people doing that to them. Uh, I feel like Sanchez has been kind of jerked around a little bit that way. I, I feel like he is he better than Vimmer was for us. Yes, he's better than Kevin Vimmer. Um, is he is he as good as Toby is right now? Well, Toby's been not himself either, and maybe for some of these same reasons. I'm not done with Sanchez yet. I do think we need somebody uh, that can play on the left side of that long term. But this season, he's been our second best center back. Mm. I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, is he good enough to do that long term? I don't know. But I, there isn't anybody better than him right now in terms of who's played. The thing is, he still is only 24 years of age, and I stand by what my point about him not having a consistent run of games, um, and you need that. When you play at the back, I don't know about where you guys played when you were playing football, but I was a striker for most of my career. Um, I was and a I, sub. And, and, uh, 
One season, uh, my my coach made me play at the back, and I was a, I, I played sweeper or centre back, and you just you just feel like constantly nervous when you're playing at the back, and it's disconcerting kind of feeling trying to stop goals. Obviously, trying to score goals is at times frustrating, and there's there's confidence issues and stuff. But playing at the back can feel pretty unsettling, and now, if you extrapolate that up to the top league and consider the level of players you're playing against, I think without a settled run of games, he's only 24 years of age. He would make my team still, and I think he still is the future. He's got pace. Um, you know, he's still probably three years away from his peak. Um, he doesn't turn 24 until June. I, I think he, he is the future, and I'd like to see him given another chance. But let's talk about Tanganga a little bit. So... Um, Seb was suggesting playing Tanganga in there. Tanganga makes my team, but I would play him at right back. Um, for me, you might as well play Aurier in a, in a midfield three because he's not doing any defending. My question is, where does Tanganga fit? Before we talk, let's talk about Tanganga and the right back situation. Um, HG, you didn't list Tanganga. If you did, where would you play him and who misses out? Look, I see Tanganga as as the let's say the the young Jamie Carragher of Tottenham, the guy who who will play anywhere he can and will do a half decent job in most positions. But long term, given the way that football's going, he's a centre back. He can't attack with the ball. He doesn't really have the ability to do so. So using him as a fullback seems silly if you want your fullbacks to attack. If you, if you want a flat back four, then he can do either position. But um, if he's got a future at this, if he's got a future really to play regularly, then I think it has to be centre back. Mm. Do you agree with that, Seb? Yeah, um, and I, I think as HC said, he, he's he's the future. He only can play across the defence, but he, he's a centre back, and he's he's yeah, he, does, he can't attack with the ball. Um, so keep him at the back. He he seems to do a, a, a very good job. You know, his debut against Liverpool was impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, he's not right back, and he's he's certainly not a left back. Yeah, that touch that he had. What was the game where I think Toby floated a delicious ball behind the defence, and he was suddenly through, and his first touch went about twenty metres past the keeper. Um, what game was that against? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the game? Was it against Wolves? Yeah, I don't remember. And he it was really yeah. terrible conditions, and he he control he gets through, and it's basically him and the keeper, and the keeper makes a. Com- complete muddle of it and it flies past the keeper but it goes out for a goal kick um anyway that that just kind of illustrated the point about him not really being an attacking player so then uh nick is he the future at center back with sanchez certainly part of it i think um we're going to need somebody in that space he's still really young there's opportunities there maybe let him and sanchez kind of elbow one another to figure out who's first choice long term um that makes sense to me I wouldn't play him at either. Again, flat back four, no problem, but he's not an attacker. I mean, probably both of them have a future there because, I mean, Toby, what, he's probably got two seasons at the top level left. Tanganga's only young. Uh, I see Tanganga and Sanchez possibly being an excellent partnership there in the future. Okay, well, that covers centre-back. Let's talk about the difficult positions right back. So if we're saying Tanganga's best position is in the middle, does that mean there's anybody left to challenge Aurea for the right-back position, Seb? Or is it as simple as he's the best we've got? 
No, he, he's the best we've got, but we shouldn't we shouldn't forget he, he's coming for a lot of criticism. But two managers have taken the decision that he was the best option that we had, and that other options weren't even needed at the club. So obviously, Kieran Trippier departed in the summer. Carl Walker Peters departed uh, under Mourinho in the in the January transfer window. So they are seeing something that they are happy with. He. From viewing from the outside, he obviously is popular among the rest of amongst the rest of the players. I think he comes in for unfair criticism. He's being asked to do a job that is it makes the team look a bit wonky, but I don't think he really does anything wrong. There are a couple of occasions where I wish he'd bloody run backwards, um, but apart from that, yeah, he's he's the best we've got. But we'll certainly be looking to strengthen in the summer. Mm. Padre. If it's the team of the season, he's the right back. We don't have anybody else. I think I agree with Seb. He's gotten a lot of criticism, and that's because he does occasionally an unbelievably boneheadedly stupid thing. Right? Mm. I mean, like it's it's incredibly ridiculous some of the nonsense he pulls, and so it, I think sometimes that stuff is kind of a target that he paints on himself. But a lot of times he does a lot of really good stuff, and it goes unnoticed, and then or he has a good game, and then what does one stupid thing? And nobody can deal with it. He's the kind of guy, isn't he, H, where there's probably like lots of like guys who would love if, if their daughter was dating a footballer or going to marry a footballer and then she comes home with Serge Aurier and you're like, um, <laughs> can I track that wish back? <laughs> um, as, as Since we're both fathers of daughters, yes, I do not want – um, I do not want my daughter to come back with a Serge Aurier type, um, but you know, football's still footballer. Um, it's the, the thing with Serge. I mean, we, 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 <laughs> no qualification there. Well, like a true football freak. <laughs> so are you saying, HG, that given that he's a footballer, um, you'd be willing to sit down and have a kind of father-in-law, son-in-law chat and give him a chance? Um. Look, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot to Serge's personality that would be would be quite attractive to anyone. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's like, do, do, do I really want my daughter to marry James Milner? No. So, it's, it's, it's got to be somewhere in between, surely. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just know that uh, as, as far as footballers go. You want them to be a bit more responsible and a bit more solid and dependable than Aurier has proven to be at, at any club, not just at Spurs, but it was the same at same at PSG before us. So, yes, uh, yeah, dependability is is probably a good thing in fullbacks and uh, son-in-laws. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> with son-in-laws, as long as they got you tickets, you'd be you'd be looking for someone more entertaining at the dinner table. Perhaps someone hey, who could hey. get everyone dancing after dinner as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to live with him, right? So you know, like I can, I can only get to a certain point. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm not sure if I want my daughter getting in a car with Serge Aurier though. But anyway, um, I've got quite a few years left to get ready for that kind of thing. What about left back? God help us. Seb? There's not many options, is there? I'd probably go back to what um, HG said, and it, it pains me because you know, I'm going to say something here. I don't like him. Um, just as a person, I don't like Danny Rose. Unfortunately, he probably has been the best performer in that 
position, but God, that, that's not really standard. It was garbage at the start of the season. That the game against Arsenal, where he was just standing so far off Maitland Niles out on the right, I just wanted to reach my hand into the TV and drag him closer to him. It was it was, it was like he was playing in the coronavirus period. You know, it was like got to stay one point <laughs> five meters away at all times. Um, mm. He's morphing into Asuakoto in the sense that he just doesn't give a shit. Um, you know, you know, he he long gave up caring about Tottenham Hotspur, um, and you know, he's, he's awful comments going to the papers saying this. It was obvious he was the rat when when it when we had all that uh, fallout over the over the winter that certain players weren't be given a chance, and there'd been an argument in training and all this boring shit that he comes out with. Um, and then, if you want to look for anyone even more boring and tedious, you have to go to Ben Davis, and. Uh, uh, yeah, it's left back's not good for us. Mm, absolutely. But what about your man, Ben Davies, H? <laughs> My man? I picked Rose. Um, so, look, like, like Ben Davies... <laughs> 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 you, know, you, you, you know when I said that I don't want my my daughter to end up with James Milner, Ben Davies is Tottenham's James Milner. Um, <laughs> like 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 I, I, I'm sure I'm sure I would get on really well with Ben Davies. I hear he's quite an intelligent lad. He he likes to do a lot of reading. That's always a good thing. Ben Davies is your is your steady Eddie. He's going to give you sixes when he plays okay and sevens when he plays well. Um, he rarely gives you a four or a five unless he's up against real pace. But you know, he, he, to me, he's someone that you definitely want in your squad. Uh, you don't want him to play every game. So like, Ben Davis has had a stop-start year, obviously. But um, yeah, like I, I'd like to, I'd like to keep him around. I, I just think that probably our best left back so far this season has been Danny Rose. Now, uh, any dissenting opinions there, Padre? I'd take Davies just because I. Rose for me. I love Danny Rose. I actually, everything that Seb doesn't like, I do like about him. The club basically gave him up for dead in the summer, tried desperately to offload him, couldn't do it. And then it was like this weird marriage. I don't have a problem with him saying what he thinks. Um, it doesn't bug me. That might be my weird standoffish Americanness coming through. Um, but in this case, <laughs> in terms of like on the pitch, I, 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 I just, he fell off so far that it seems to me that Steady Eddie is better than one moment of maybe usefulness followed by him being out of position or over attacking or just being lackadaisical. Um, I take Davies. Well, that's a good point. Isn't it Seb? Can we have Aurea on one side and Rose on the other? No, <laughs> no. Oh no. Um, you know, the, I guess, you know, if you're trying to be really positive, you'd kind of say if we played with three at the back and, had the kind of Walker Rose scenario that we had in 2017. Um, you know, could 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 we make that work? But no, Rose is Rose is going backwards. You know, there was talk in the summer of PSG and Juventus and and all this. You know, he's gone to Newcastle. That that tells you everything you need to know. Um, and as we've covered, we we need not, we need a not even necessarily an upgrade on Aurier, but a, another option. You know, we know what we get with REA. Teams know what opposition teams know what they get when they're facing REA. We need another option. Yeah, one goal a game. <laughs> Indeed, one goal. One goal. I'm still mulling over the James Milner proposition and trying to work out whether I'd prefer my daughter to marry James Milner or Serge Aurier. <laughs> we'll have to. I think we should call the pod. To be, I like this idea of calling the pod the James Milner proposition. We probably can't call it guesses coming to dinner, can we? 
<laughs> totally copyrighted. To, to be fair to James Milner, like um, on on Twitter, he's been pretty funny this week, like organizing his tea bags and rationing them out. And uh, there was a video of him like cut, cutting the grass using an individual ruler to make sure each blade was cut to the right length. Like he understands the reputation that he has, and and it's well earned because he's been a top player for for seventeen years and played almost every game. So um, he, he is that he is the person that you probably want every footballer to be. But as a son-in-law, no. And he can play left-back as well, Seb. He would probably start at left-back for us at the moment, wouldn't he? Uh, I think he would, yeah. That's, that's a really good point, actually. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I, I wouldn't mind James Milner in the Tottenham squad. Not at all. All right, let's wrap things up. We don't have time for the bell end and champ of the week. I think the bell end is my son who's in the background having a good cry. So we better wrap it up and say shout-out to Paul Muir. And this is my baby is crying at the idea of uh, I told the missus not to panic by, but I've just found Andy Carroll in the fucking kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) A word on Andy Carroll to wrap us up, H? Uh, Donkey. (laughs) Padre. But a preening pretty donkey. (laughs) Seb, last word for you. Pony tail. Haven't Newcastle just given him a new contract, uh, Padre? I don't know. I think they may have just bought the one-year panic deal. I don't know that they went full-bore five-alarm bell panic. Okay, well, everybody, make sure you avoid panic buying. Don't accidentally buy Andy Carroll when you're down the shops. Make sure you get, at the very worst, Serge Aurier <laughs> or, you know, or, or James Milner. Get, get him in the trolley. Get James Milner in the fucking trolley. <laughs> Wheel him out. Wheel him out. All right. Well, I think we've overstayed our virtual welcome here. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today on The Cheese Room. We'll have another episode out, I would say, possibly early next week or over the weekend. Depends when Francis fires up the virtual studio. We'll be hearing again from uh, Brendan and the Americas crew with his guests at some stage. We'll try and get you two podcasts out a week. Something a bit like today where we do a bit of coronavirus stuff and a bit of Tottenham-related stuff as well. Hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been wonderful. Thank you to all the guests. Thank you, HG. Thank you very much, boys. Nice to be with you again. Thank you very much, Sebastian Short. My problem, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much, Padre. I'm not a religious man, but can you say a prayer for me for the rest of the season? Will do. It's on. I was thinking, is it possible, do you believe in curses, Padre? Because if I just go back to last year in June, uh, very early June, I was in a stadium in Madrid, it was magic. It was going off. The crowd had just been singing Musa Sissoko. Oh, Musa Sissoko. Even the UEFA band was playing along. I was scrolling around with my camera, taking a video of the scene, of the uh, the match opened. Everything was magic. And then we conceded a 22-second penalty by Musa Sissoko himself. And ever since then, things have gone down. Basically, Poch got fired. We got Mourinho playing terrible football. Amazon is making a tragic documentary about us. And... Now coronavirus has ended the season. Is this all on me, mate, for going to Madrid? I don't think so, but I do believe in curses. I don't give them, but I sometimes remove them. I will explore this matter some more. Well, thank you. All right, folks, drop us a a comment in the, the post on Facebook. It's been wonderful having your ears on our show. Thank you very much. We'll love you and leave you, and come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.